This is WCNY is the Capitol Press Room, and we're checking in with the state's energy czar, Doreen Harris, president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, who's joining us to provide some clarity on the fluctuating renewable energy landscape in the Empire State. Welcome back to the show, President Harris. Energy czar, I'll take it. Great to see you again. Yeah, congrats on the promotion. I'm not sure if it comes with a salary bump or whether it's just a title bump. Never salary, always title. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as we speak on August 8th, how much renewable energy are we getting from existing sources in New York? And how much new renewable energy based in New York has been contracted out and is in development, so to speak? Yeah, so New York is starting with a a, a very strong baseline of renewables. Um, That's the term that we use um, toward the achievement of the Climate Act's uh, 70 by 30 goal, which is 70% renewable electricity by 2030. New York has a very strong baseline, as I noted, and it's predominantly uh, hydroelectric power. These are projects that were constructed in some cases many decades ago and and provide, uh, I'd say, about 25% of our electricity consumption at this point. I'm using rough justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, as time has gone on, we've really set forth very ambitious policies like the renewable portfolio standard of, of the past couple of decades, now the clean energy standard, New York Sun, et cetera, which is really designed to build out new renewable technologies. And in that case, we would most predominantly be focusing on technologies like solar, uh, land-based wind, and offshore wind. And so these are projects that take, in some cases, many years to be constructed and and operational, such that really the projects that have become operational in the last decade are largely the product of policies of prior decades. So when we look at where we are, those resources have maybe added three to 4% um, to that baseline, depending on the year that you look at. And so what we're really focusing on now is is really expanding our pipeline of projects toward that 70 by 30 goal. And as we speak, NYSERDA over the last number of years has really gone from, let's just say procuring two, three, four large scale projects a year to 20 plus projects a year, really accelerating the, the, not only the, the progress, but the pipeline to achieve those outcomes. And when we look at it collectively, the, that pipeline of not constructed projects would get us fairly close to 70 by 30 if they were all constructed, uh, but we recognize that not all will. So our, our march continues to fill that pipeline as the years go on. Well, speaking of that march, what is the status of NYSERDA's third solicitation of offshore wind projects uh, for the coast of New York? Yeah, so we issued a what, what the industry calls New York 3, our third solicitation for offshore wind, uh, not terribly long ago. It's a very, I would say, novel RFP because it is not only seeking to procure, in some cases, a couple of gigawatts of offshore wind, but it is also pairing those projects with an investment Governor Hochul advanced um, through the state's budget for investments in supply chain and port infrastructure. So, so we took in bids earlier this year, and it was an extraordinarily robust response. But I would say it is also an extraordinarily complex RFP because of the ways in which we're pairing the generation of renewable energy with the supply chain that will support it. 
And as we speak, um, we just not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, went out for some best and final prices and bids uh, in that RFP, really seeking to, I'd say, pair the absolute best renewable projects with the best supply chain opportunities, which has put us on a slightly longer time frame than we had expected uh, to conclude that RFP. We're now expecting to announce awards um, in Q4 of this year. Well, yeah, you mentioned that uh, timeline and some updates to the RFP process. Uh, Marie French, the great energy reporter from Politico New York, had reported on NYSERDA issuing an addendum to the recent offshore wind solicitation to, quote unquote, ensure the most cost effective outcome of the solicitation for ratepayers. What does that language in that uh, notice mean? So basically what we took in was, was a number of different projects. Again, I, I had noted that we saw a very ro robust response with more than 100 different proposals for eight new projects from six offshore wind developers. So we have to start with that. We have those combinations of bids. And what we're working to do now is really pair those in ways that can bring forward not only the most robust supply chain investments that are paired with those bids, but also the projects that bring us the best pricing. So it's really just looking to combine the best of the best. That's how I think about the reissuance, this addendum that went out in July. Well, how, if at all, was that addendum informed by the requests for more money from developers who have already been uh, contracted to build green energy projects in New York? So the two really are, are unrelated. Uh, we can certainly talk about the requests made by the renewable energy industry that I see as separable from the RFPs that we have on the street today. So, so we do have this offshore wind RFP. In addition, the Public Service Commission has required NYSERDA in implementing its orders to run an annual solicitation for land-based renewables, as I said, like utility-scale solar, wind or perhaps new hydroelectric facilities. So that RFP is also running in parallel. And both of them are, are going to be wrapping up shortly as I described. I say that they are unrelated because we had these RFPs on the street and in parallel, we now have seen some petitions from the industry really citing economic pressures that they're facing. Um, those petitions were issued by projects that are contracted with NYSERDA, but are not yet constructed. Uh, I can talk about that in any way you'd like, but the two are really not related. Well, if I was putting on my tinfoil hat and really getting deep into the conspiracy weeds with the caveat that I am not the energy reporter that Marie French is, I would look at this notice and note that it says proposals are having an opportunity to reduce or maintain bid prices and might say, hey, we're looking for some savings in this latest round and maybe we can use those savings to go towards funding these increased costs that we're seeing from some of the existing projects that are already contracted out. So what would you say to that sort of conspiracy theory, pins on the wall, Pepe Silvio connection thing that I'm proposing? <laughs> Well, of course, we're always looking for the best prices. You'd be correct if you were to make that statement. And in fact, we had issued um, an RFP addendum previously this summer, really focusing on 
some new information that had been made available by the U.S. Department of Treasury and the IRS. Um, this relates to the Inflation Reduction Act and the implementation of some of the provisions within it that we really saw as presenting opportunities for companies to refresh their prices for the better. Uh, and so we, we'd issued that earlier this year and taken in uh, new prices as a result of that addendum. Where we are today is really looking at the last steps of this process, which, as I said, really have to do with combining projects and investments into portfolios that are, as I said, the best of the best. Of course, in doing so, we, we wouldn't want to pay more. So that's the reason for the language that you're referencing. But I'd say we already took in prices that were reflective of some updated guidance from the federal government that we believed would bring benefits to New York ratepayers. Well, finally, with regards to this solicitation process, how much power are you looking to generate from this solicitation? Is there a baseline that you want to get out of this? And is there, I guess, a ceiling that you think is possible to hit as well? Well, the goal of, in New York is 9,000 megawatts of offshore wind by 2035. And, and to give you some sense of scale, that number alone in 2035 would power about 30% of, of New York households. So it is a huge, I'd say, component of our overall strategy to achieve the Climate Act goals. Offshore wind is, is actually one of the primary reasons that, that we can advance the decarbonization of our electric grid at scale. And as such, when we look at how we get from here to there, we really do have to look at the element of time because these projects do not, as I said, turn around in a year or two and, and enter construction and operation in some cases. As an example, the South Fork wind farm that is under construction now, that received a contract from the Long Island Power Authority more than six years ago. So, so really when we're solving for 2030, our decisions today are decisions that will impact our ability to hit 2030. When we talk about 2035, though, I'd say that we definitely have to look at this in a, in a way that has a, a, an approach that looks at, I'd say, the benefits and detriments, potential detriments of, of buying now versus buying later. And by that, I mean, if, if we are building the industry, as we are here in the state, there could be motivations to invest now so that other projects can, can benefit from those investments. But when we look into the future, if we see opportunities for cost declines that would benefit New Yorkers, we have to think about that on the other side of the equation. So all that to say, we, we issued this RFP with goals on the order of two gigawatts, but really where we are is we're making a decision as to those trade-offs now. Oh, that's interesting. So it sounds like based on the background you provided, like you might do something less than two gigawatts with the explanation that we see a future where projects could be done cheaper and we could still hit our future offshore wind and green energy goals. Well, certainly that's how, how we think about it as, as a general matter. And, and the Public Service Commission orders reflect that. It sets for us target procurement volumes, specifically for the land-based renewables that I referenced. But we do have to adapt to market conditions. And, and I would say that this year has revealed extraordinarily complex market conditions that we just have to take stock of, whether it relate to cost pressures, timing pressures, 
or goal achievement. You know, these are all factors that we have to look at on balance. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Doreen Harris, president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're talking about the changing landscape of renewable energy projects being developed in New York. And our guest is Doreen Harris, president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. So we mentioned earlier that some of the developers of offshore wind projects that the state has already contracted are looking for additional funding for these projects as they say that they're not financially viable anymore. Does NYSERDA play any role in potentially securing additional funding for these projects, or is that ball solely in the court of the Public Service Commission? Yes, so the decisions that are made in in these proceedings are those of the Public Service Commission. And in fact, the role that NYSERDA plays in procuring these projects is also on the basis of the orders of the Public Service Commission, which established us as the implementation entity in fulfillment of the clean energy standard goals. So the four petitions that were filed this summer are before the commission now. There were four requests, one by Orsted and Eversource, one by Equinor and BP for their three offshore wind projects, one from East New York on behalf of the upstate wind and solar generators, and then one by Clean Path New York, a transmission project that we had awarded a couple of years ago. These have all been noticed for comments. Um, we at NYSERDA do plan to file comments later this month, reflecting that very role, i.e., how do we look at these petitions in light of the role that we have been assigned by the Public Service Commission? And in doing so, it'll all be part of their decision-making that will influence next steps. So if they order something that impacts our contracts with these companies, we would then negotiate according to the instructions of the commission. If the commission says a deal's a deal, you're not getting any more money for these projects and the developers essentially walk away from them, can New York still hit its green energy goals given the timeline that's involved with developing these projects that we've talked about? In that hypothetical in which the commission decline to to take any action, it would very much be the decision of our counterparties as to whether they would advance their projects under the current contracts or not. There's various provisions within those agreements that they would have to consider on balance, damages and the like that they would need to pay if they were to not proceed. Where I think about this, and certainly where NYSERDA thinks about this, is, is the bigger picture, which is what projects are moving forward toward the achievement of the Climate Act goals. And and I mentioned this pipeline is, it's an important part of how we get to 70 by 30. And and as I said, nine gigawatts by 2035. So we do need to be assessing as we always do the status of that portfolio. We work with these companies sometimes on a daily basis, really tracking their projects, helping to address challenges they may face and ultimately 
working to bring them to operation. When we sign these contracts, we become very integrated in the successful advancement of the projects. But all that to say, we knew fully that there would be attrition in this portfolio. We would definitely be accelerating our procurements in the near term to bring more projects into the fold toward our goals should we see attrition beyond that which we had originally anticipated. Has this experience impacted the way you might think about setting up contracts in the future? Because the way it was framed to us by, again, the great Marie French of Politico New York is that these developers will pay a penalty if they end up walking away from these contracts. So, for example, would you consider increasing the financial penalty for walking away with future contracts to ensure that there's less of an incentive to walk away and more buy-in to ensure that people see these projects through, uh, no matter what sort of changes there might be? This is a function NYSERDA has held literally since the 90s um, in procuring renewable energy on behalf of the state. And and certainly our approach has been modified as, as we've advanced, not only with time, but with scale. Of course, where we sit today, as I said, we're, we're literally procuring orders of magnitude more than we did back in those days. And I'd say it's important to note that there is a balance of issues to be struck. Our contract reflects, on the one hand, um, a desire to protect New York ratepayers. So the more risk we place on our counterparties, the more we will see prices rise in their bids and costs incurred by New Yorkers. But on the other hand, the more developer friendly, if you will, we make the contract, the simpler it would be for them to exit the contract. We have flexibility per the commission orders to adjust, and, and, we, and we are, we always are. In fact, this year, an example of a modification we made was we did reflect this inflationary issue in our RFPs that we have on the street today, where we're taking into account inflation that may occur between the time of the bid and the time of financial investment recognizing that now we have market intelligence that caused us to modify our approach. Well, turning to another issue, at the end of the legislative session, Democratic state lawmakers pushed through a bill that allows for the alienation of parkland on Long Island to allow for transmission lines to connect with an offshore wind project that's under development there. Uh, During the debate, the bill was framed as something that was needed now, and this is language that we've heard from environmental groups as well who say this is something that needs to get done now to not impact the development of the Empire Wind 2 project. What's your understanding of the timing issue here? Is this something that needs to be done in, say, the next few months in terms of uh, allowing the local municipality to strike some sort of agreement for the transmission lines to go through there? So, so I can't speak specifically to Equinor's strategy with respect to Parkland alienation. Their strategy is one that they're employing, and it is not a specific area that NYSERDA has been involved in. But I will say as a general matter that these companies are looking to de-risk their projects as quickly as possible. And by de-risk, I mean remove those areas that would really render a project impossible to proceed. Per Equinor's points, they consider this particular issue one that would be in that category. In their view, that route is central to the success of Empire Wing 2, and, and their rationale in advancing this legislative strategy reflects that. 
Well, this legislation would also appear to give NYSERDA new powers when it comes to offshore wind development planning beyond the 9,000 megawatts we're looking to build by 2035. Would this represent a significant change in the process if it was signed into law? Because you got to remember, I'm not that smart, so I don't really understand what's going on here. So I need you to explain it to me. <laughs> well, I'd say the topic of transmission planning as a general matter is one that is central to the development of renewables. And, and while I can say that here, I would say it has had increasing recognition um, across the country and, and indeed the world. You really have such a massive investment in the grid in order to reach these goals that it is necessary to think about new models for transmission development and certainly more accelerated models to build it. All that to say, we already are working in, in a lot of different ways around this topic of transmission planning and specifically looking at goals for New York larger than nine gigawatts for offshore wind and, and really what that would necessitate. So we see actions from the Department of Public Service through the Public Service Commission, through the New York Independent System Operator in, in I'd say, consultation with NYSERDA to advance not only near-term public policy transmission planning processes for the existing goals, but also to really begin to look at, at more expansive objectives as well. So I'd say we already are working in this realm. The, the bill as drafted would place NYSERDA in a more central role than, than we have today. So that's to be determined as to whether that's sort of the most optimal way to actually get it done. But I'd say I'm extremely positive about the progress we're making. Well, do you think it could impact who ends up getting contracts in the future? Because there's also this element of a cost uh, analysis study that would be required by this legislation. So it seems like it's almost designed to kind of rejigger the variables and how things are weighted in the awarding process right now? It is the case that cost is central to everything that we do. This is obviously central to the actions of the Public Service Commission in, in really protecting ratepayers in the first instance. I'd say that for me, when we think about broader transmission planning, it is less related to our current solicitations, which are really focused on the offshore wind projects and connecting that individual project to land, as opposed to a broader planning effort, which might connect those projects to one another, to new projects that we may not even know where they would be yet, and in fact, to other jurisdictions like our friends to the South or um, the New England states. So that's a different matter altogether. It's actually central to our broader offshore wind goals, but it reflects a, a different paradigm than that which we have as, as a state today. Well, we've been speaking with Doreen Harris. She is the president and CEO of NYSERDA. Doreen, thank you so much for making the time and sharing your expertise with us. I really appreciate it. Great to speak with you as always. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.